You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning, I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. We begin our program this week with a highlight from the Voice of Charity. This week, co-hosts Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy spend some time getting to know the new Chief Program Officer at Catholic Charities. Here is a highlight. We're very excited this morning to welcome a new member of the Catholic Charities team um, who's in a really, really important position um, in her role as Chief Program Officer. So, Amy Novarita, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you, Marie. Hi, Bridget. Hi. And, um, Marie, I'm so impressed that you wake up every morning at 5 a.m. to go for a walk. Please, well done. Please don't be impressed. It's just my inner grandma. No, Amy, don't encourage her. She's... <laughs> She's not better than us. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Just a lot of energy in the I'm morning. so tired of you, you morning people shoving it in our faces. You're not better than us. I never said that. I just was talking about the sunrise. But welcome, Amy. Welcome to the Voice of Charity. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. And you are... You have a big job with Catholic Charities, which we'll get to, Amy, but you also have amazing experience and, of course, your own personal story. So let's start with that. Tell us a little bit about your professional background and your um, family. Sure. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me here. This is uh, it's really exciting to be with both of you today. Uh, yeah, so I started out my career, um, of course, in Chicago. Uh, at a community-based organization, actually, that was founded by the Presbytery of Chicago at Erie Neighborhood House, and uh, got to kind of get started and grounded uh, with a social justice uh, mission, and I was at Erie House at a time of uh, growth and and change. We um, expanded our community uh, footprint. We actually opened up uh, a school to better serve the, the children in our care. And uh, we, we were really at a period of kind of growth and change. And I think that helped to uh, just shape my perspective in terms of uh, what's possible when we're doing social services and social justice work. Uh, so yeah, I started at Erie. I still think of uh, myself as part of the, the Erie House family <laughs> and uh, and got really interested not only in human services, but also um, systems change and, and education. Uh, and so did, you know, a little bit of policy work and, uh, and studied both public policy um, and education. I left Chicago for a while. I was out of Chicago. My, my family, my husband and I moved out to um, Boston, to the East Coast for almost a decade. And, uh, and that was a really uh, special time for us because uh, professionally it was great. I did a lot of learning. I spent some time in graduate school. Um, I also spent some time in the classroom uh, teaching fifth grade in Boston Public School. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I 
um, I love, I get really interested in kind of how to affect change and, and, um, and affect broader systems. But I also really need to be connected to, um, to the work. Mm-hmm. And so when I left uh, graduate school, uh, I felt a little disconnected and was not ready to kind of jump into a, a 30,000 foot role. And so instead, I um, did some more training and uh, spent a couple of years uh, teaching fifth grade with some really uh, fabulous colleagues over at uh, the Dever Elementary School and, and Young Achievers uh, out, out in that community. I you're hi- you're hired. <laughs> I love that, Amy. Um, I, I, I think, you know, just this idea that you are grounded and rooted in, in practice. You know, we, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about the work on the ground. Bridget mm-hmm. and I are so mm-hmm. lucky that we get to chat with our amazing social workers and yeah. Um, clinicians on the ground, and you did that work on the ground, which I think is just a really incredible base layer, if you will, for yep. for how to enter into this space and your new role. Yeah, I think it's um, I I couldn't agree more, and I keep working to um, find ways to stay connected uh, to the work, and have, have I'm happy to share some of um, how I've been able to do that already at, at Catholic Charities. Um, but yeah, when we moved back, so we started our, one of the reasons our time in Boston was special is, um, we started our family out there. So my husband, Omar, and I have, um, two little girls. Mari is, is nine and Lila is six and a half. And, uh, and we came back to Chicago cause all of our, our family is here and, uh, it's home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we got back here about five years ago now. And uh, I came back and started working for uh, uh, another partner in the nonprofit space in the city uh, over at Heartland Alliance and uh, got to be there at another moment of sort of transformation and change. Uh, Similarly, they had a a new president coming into the organization um, and uh, and a really beautiful, um, solid legacy of, of service in the city to vulnerable residents. And we had the opportunity to, to grow and, um, and really dive into our, our strengths and, um, and get more deeply rooted in, in some of the community work we were doing, particularly around um, working to help address gun violence in the city. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. And we'll just remind our listeners, those of you who don't tune in regularly, although I can't imagine <laughs> why you'd miss the show, um, that we uh, have a new, relatively new president at Catholic Charities, Sally Blount, who was on the program uh, in August, back when she started. And you can find that show on our website. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's a time of change and transformation mm-hmm. at Catholic Charities. So that's certainly been a common denominator in your career, Amy, and we're glad to have you at this particular juncture. Amy, can you share a little bit with us about what attracted you to Catholic Charities? Because you have worked with some of our great partners in Chicago, and we know you could go anywhere, really. What brought you to us? (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, gosh, so many things. I think, um, you know, I'm thinking about it. I went into the break reflecting on... Uh, what Bridget was sharing around kind of um, systems and kind of this moment that we're at right now in our country where we're um, really reckoning with not only kind of the, the disproportionate impact of, of COVID, 
um, on our black and brown communities, but uh, also just the broader kind of structural um, racism that exists. And for me, one of the um, one of my immediate draws to Catholic charities, you know, I, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and um, the the mission, the values of um, social justice, the Catholic social teaching is kind of deeply ingrained in who I am. And so uh, the opportunity to, to work for charities and help advance that mission was, um, it almost was something that I didn't know that I had been seeking. And then when it presented itself, it, um, it like I knew. So mm-hmm. there was definitely that element this fall. Um, but I'll also say uh, certainly, you know, this fall, uh, Cardinal Supich, he, he came together with a number of um, faith leaders across the city with, uh, with Marshall Hash, with Chris Harris over at Bright Star, who I, I really admire, and came together and, and really stepped out on the need to seek um, not only peace, but also justice and uh, wrote a really beautiful and powerful op-ed in the Tribune around the need for our faith leaders and our, our church to um, to pursue justice in, in our work. And that was uh, not something that he needed to, to do. It was uh, a really beautiful article done in collaboration with faith leaders from across the city, and uh, that definitely... Uh, inspired me and gave me um, just really great confidence and um, and enthusiasm about being able to come and and work um, you know under his, his leadership at the arch uh, and then you know I, I spent a lot of time this fall as I was interviewing for this this um, role which I'm so excited to be in uh, talking with folks and <clears throat> spent a lot of time talking with Sally Blount and we have got such a compassionate, fierce, um, savvy uh, leader at the helm of Catholic Charities, and so the opportunity to work for her was was just thrilling, is thrilling, and uh, I, I spent a lot of time talking with folks, whether at the arts or folks who were on the board of Catholic Charities or worked here currently or had worked here, and I just kept hearing um Folks talk about the sense of family and community and uh, just shared mission at the center of everything that we do. And and already before I even started, felt to, felt very welcome uh, at Catholic Charities. And uh, and so I think in some ways it has kind of felt like coming home. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, and I think we felt pretty close. I mean, we've. Um, We've only met via Zoom, right. um, mm-hmm. and I, you know, we could do a whole nother show about what it's like to start a job like this remotely. Um, you, yeah. you and Sally both, um, but I think we 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 feel that way about you too, and I'm I'm glad you had that experience. Um, we only have a couple minutes before the next break, and then we'll go into it again when yeah. we come back, Amy. But. I'm not sure even Marie and I know the full scope of what a chief program officer is supposed to do. So I imagine our listeners yeah. don't either. So, you know, what are what are your ideas about the job and, and what was put before you on that piece of paper about what your job is? 
let's see. So I think um, there's there's one thing that's really important to say. I came into this chief program officer role in partnership with an amazing woman named Gina Clegg, who's been with Catholic Charities for about a decade now. And she stepped into uh, a senior vice president of operations and innovation. So one one thing that's crystal clear to me in this chief program officer role is I'm doing this work very much in partnership with Gina and with the vice presidents who mm-hmm. are leading our service areas. So, uh, so I think that's really important to say because we've got a, a extraordinary team. Uh, and, you know, I think about this role at a high level as uh, I am responsible for and have the privilege of um, championing, supporting, and providing oversight for all of our programs across across Catholic charities, um, from our housing to our senior services to all of the work that we do across food. And so um, that's that's the high level, and uh, and I think the immediate charge in the next you know six months to a year is we have grown um, like we did at Heartland. We've grown really organically over the last mm-hmm. 30 years or so. And so uh, our shared charge is really working to see, particularly at this pivotal moment in, in our city's history, our country's history, um, looking to see how we can realign our programs so that we can be most effective in service of our, our clients and our communities. So, you know, obviously the, the pandemic has meant some changes in terms of we know there are there are increased food needs, there are increased rental assistance needs. Um, those aren't going to go away, uh, even when everyone is vaccinated and, and whatever this back to normal means, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to be normal for the people most um, harmed by the pandemic for a while. So can you give us a little further sense of either what you've seen in your first couple of weeks about Catholic Charities programs or what you envision we'll need to examine more closely in the next 12 months, say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, you know, I am in my fourth week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think... Um, there's a, I, there's a couple of things I, I want to share. So um, first, you know, I've entered into this role. Um, we we serve uh, somewhere in the vicinity of half a million people every year, depending on how you count our programs. Um, we've we've got at least a hundred distinct uh, programs and services. If you really get into nuances, you could significantly increase that number. Right. Uh, and we have almost 2,000 staff across Greater Chicago who are doing this work. So, my first charge in this role is really um, to listen. And um, and and Marie's heard these questions. I don't know if you have yet, Bridget. But when I enter into these conversations, and this will be true, you know, in these in certainly in these first few months, I like to ask um, staff across the organization uh, what they love about Catholic Charities of Chicago. What's hard about working here? What are some of the challenges and, and the um, barriers that uh, that need to be addressed? And uh, I, I ask them what um, what they hope uh, I do and what they hope that I don't do in this role. 
And and Gina and I have actually gotten in the habit of asking those questions um, together when we're when we're interacting with staff. And it's been um, there have definitely been some themes that have have come through. And I think you know staff are wanting us to start um, from a place of listening and learning, to start from a place of curiosity mm-hmm. uh, and recognizing that, um, yeah, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely always uh, room for improvement and change and, and folks I think are, are excited about that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, really uh, wanting to ensure that, that I've taking time to learn kind of the history and the context and the why uh, um, at the start. So right. I'm taking that to, to heart and, uh, and that is uh, kind of first and foremost. For more information about Catholic Charities, how they assist people in need and how you can help, visit catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Up next is part of a conversation from Focus on the Liturgy. This month, co-hosts Todd Williamson and Timothy Johnston explored the great season of Lent. Let's listen in. Happy Lent, Timothy. Happy Lent. This is the first season, or the first week of of Lent. Um, Just celebrated Ash Wednesday, less than a week ago. Uh, We were talking about it right before we went on the air. Uh, Your experience of of having ashes sprinkled this year instead of uh, other experience uh, of years past yeah around around the world really this was a new experience for many people uh though it's been a practice in in some local churches uh in parts of the world um having that sprinkle for centuries for centuries yeah Um, i was telling my mom she's like oh i don't know what we're doing this about and i said well it's really a more ancient practice exactly it's Um, the most ancient way of distributing ashes so i mean i know todd you we we've maybe mentioned this before, but like the order of penitence, which we won't get into today, but you know, that (laughs) maybe, (laughs) well, maybe we will, Um, but they, they would have ashes sprinkled on their head when they were enrolled into that particular order as a sign of their repentance. uh, repentance. It's very scriptural. Yes. Right. Uh, uh, The, the prophets and even in the Psalms, uh, the psalmist will, will uh, sing about uh, putting ashes on his head or sitting in ashes. Yes. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I always feel like I'm the one sitting in the ashes. <laughs> but that, it, it's it's very scriptural, and it's a, it's the very it's a very ancient way of doing it, and 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 it's done in Europe all all the time. Uh, one of the uh, Father Marek, the associate at uh, Holy Name, we were there yesterday, and he was saying he's from Poland. He said uh, that's the way it happened when I was a kid, always. Yeah. And, and we and we certainly have seen uh, images over the years in the news of even Pope Francis, Pope Benedict, and even John Paul II. I mean, when they've received ashes, you see the the, ma- the main shot in in right. uh, St. Peter's, and that's how they also receive ashes. But what a profound, uh, you know, new experience in this time of pandemic still, where we're reflecting. And I know the homily that that I heard on that uh, day really invited us to think about all the things we've had to fast from over the past year but that that fasting has hopefully opened us uh, to new uh, ways of seeing the world wow. and new ways of, of maybe, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the specifics that, that he shared, but um, was definitely how do we open ourselves up even though we feel like we've been in the desert for yeah. the last year plus um, yeah. in that way. But that, and, and you were just saying before the show, Todd, that in the, in the Roman preface or in the preface one, that, that image of joy um, that was there. And that's actually one of the things that he, that the pastor, uh, 
wove into his homily that this is truly a season of joy and that even though we are in the desert that we are moving towards baptism wow yeah i don't i do <clears throat> I, i'll put i'd put money on this i don't think most catholics think of lent as a joyful season what timothy was uh, referencing was in the sacramentary the previous translation of the roman missal the first preface of lent had this beautiful line that i really miss and it was father each year you give us this joyful season of lent and I, I, the reason I, I like that line so much is, is because uh, I think most Catholics go into Lent kicking and screaming. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's Walter Burkhart, by the way. <laughs> Father Walter Burkhart used to say that, and I love that line. Most Catholics go into Lent kicking and screaming. They don't, oh, we, we got to go. I don't want to do this. Right. We've associated it. So this is a, a strong image, but it's sort of that flogging of oneself, like, woe is me. I've got to go in. And, and they're certainly part of that. You know, the Constitution, I think it's in the Constitution of the Sacred Liturgy, and then certainly some of our other documents talk about the twofold nature of the, the Lenten season, which is this this season of penance, repentance, if you will. But it's not like I'm going, you know, it's not the woe is me. I'm so horrible. It is about a conversion. Yeah to become more like Christ. Right. And that the second piece of that, which I think is is tied also into this joy-filled piece, is this baptismal theme. I mean, it, so there's a twofold uh, piece to this that we, we aren't great at, I think, explaining or maybe living out. I agree. I agree with you 100 um, percent. It is in the Constitution uh, where, where it says that that Lent has a twofold purpose. Uh, they also it's also in the general instruction, I believe yeah. they, they quote one another mm-hmm. and uh, or the, the germ quotes the Constitution. And you, you find it in uh, the RCIA, the right. right of Christian Initiation of Adults, yes. which will quote that twofold uh, purpose as right, well. Right. Uh, and it's in the ceremonial of bishops. And, and that, since you brought up the RCIA, that's a, just a quick historical piece in terms of Lent. That The reason we have Lent is for the baptized, ultimately. I mean, maybe that's a simplified answer. But it grew out of the, the, the time before the baptism in the early church, you know, third, fourth centuries, um, where it, it sort of worked backwards from the Easter celebrations because there needed to be time for preparation, immediate preparation for baptism. And so eventually it grew into this six-week um, uh, season that we have. And, and, and the docu- at least the documents of the church maintain that connection to that, mm-hmm. that baptismal character. Uh, that b- baptismal element of Lent. And, and, and actually, I wouldn't mind spending a little bit of time talking about this. Yeah. Um, because I, I think it is so new to Catholics. Or, 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 it, 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 not, not many Catholics un- have that understanding of Lent. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we, we, were, we quoted the Constitution, which was, uh, the, as people know, the very first document that came out of the Second Vatican Council. It called for the renewal of the whole liturgical life and sacramental life of the Church. Um, it, talked about the, the Roman Missal, that it's, it's the ceremonial of bishops, though, that I think gives the clearest expression of that twofold character of penance and yeah. baptism. And the ceremonial ceremonial of bishops is uh, folks that's a that's a liturgical book for bishops. It 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 goes through all the right how all of the liturgies are celebrated when it, the bishop a bishop is presiding. Uh, and it's in it's in the ceremonial where it's talking about Lent. And it and this is a verbatim quote. It says through a spirit of repentance. Yeah the faithful prepare to renew their baptism. What's the emphasis 
in in that in that the, the way it's worded in the ceremonial of bishops what's the emphasis the 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 preparation for renewal of baptism of baptism yeah and penance i was going to say i'm going to say simply penance aids that penance helps us prepare to renew our baptism at easter and 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 when you look at it that way it takes for me at least it takes away that whole idea of of uh, Lent is dour. Lent is Lent is is it's meant to be uncomfortable. You're meant to be miserable in Lent. <laughs> There's no laughing during Lent. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're 100 right. I think is we that is at least I, I know from my own experience of catechesis growing up, and certainly the textbooks I used in teaching high school, that that was never presented concretely, and that is something I think we we do miss that. And, and what you said about connecting back into the RCIA, so we know with, with those who are preparing for baptism, when on the first Sunday of Lent, they enter into the period of purification and enlightenment. For, what, what Timothy's talking about is the rite of Christian initiation of adults. It's the mm-hmm. process by which anybody who's of the age of reason is initiated, uh, the, uh, an unbaptized person. It's the process through which they are initiated into, uh, in, into the, the faith, into Christ. And, and these 40 days or 40 plus days in the period of purification and enlightenment is, is also what you're saying, Todd, is for the baptized, it's our time to prepare for the renewal of baptismal promises, just to restate that. So the elect, those who are preparing to be baptized, are preparing for their first for baptism, for baptism, not first baptism, but baptism. Um, and we journey with them as we prepare to renew our promises at the Easter Vigil. And we've said this on the show before. Yes. The, 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 the connection that we were making to baptism or to renewal of baptism to, for those of us who have mm-hmm. already died in the waters of the font, that in one sense, Timothy, you could say that's the whole purpose of Lent. Lent has one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to prepare us to renew our baptism at the Easter Vigil or on Easter Sunday morning. Yeah. That's the whole purpose of Lent. It serves no other purpose beyond that. We don't, we don't, we don't go into penance just for penance' sake. We don't, we don't, we don't uh, enter into self-denial just for the sake of self-denial. All, all of those, and 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 whatever people, whatever you're doing for Lent, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> whether whether you're giving something up or, uh, and that's you know, that's you know that's always the question. What are you giving up for Lent this year? Yep. Uh, many people actually will take something extra on. Instead of giving something up, like they'll they'll work at this parish soup kitchen uh, uh, every week of Lent, or they'll they'll uh, take on an extra uh, element of prayer mm-hmm. uh, daily or weekly uh, for all the season of Lent. I, I would just encourage the listeners: it's still not too late. <laughs> whatever you're doing for Lent, understand it this way: that whatever you're doing is meant to help you to prepare to renew your baptism at Easter. And if what you're doing right. for Lent, whatever it is you've given up, whatever it is you're taking on, if that does not help you to prepare your, uh, to prepare you to renew your baptism at Easter, get rid of it and pick something and else. Pick something you're else. doing it wrong. <laughs> right. Like, it's not supposed to be this painful exercise. Like, that's that's the important thing. Like, whatever it, it, it I and I think I've shared this before, I always like to think of Lent for myself as, and I'm not always great at doing this, but it really is a, the church's great retreat. Yep. 
And if I'm going to enter into it, the idea behind that is that I spiritually grow and develop so that I come to know Christ more intimately and that I too becomes more more like Christ. Christ. I mean, that's the goal, right? Yes. So I take this time over, you know, whether through the prayer, the fasting, the almsgiving, all of that with the heart that hopefully that because I'm in love with Christ, that that I do that with, with sincerity so that there's conversion or that conversion can take place. And that when I come to that vigil and I'm asked to profess my faith um, and to respond, I do, I do. Can I do that wholeheartedly? Have I taken these you know, six weeks to really reflect upon what it is that I believe and profess? And not just some esoteric idea, but that this is, it's a person. Like we profess in the risen Christ. Um, and there's an intimacy and a, and a truth to that that we have to get back to. It's not just something in a book or, right. or out there. Right. And, 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 that, and, and, and that's what the season calls us to. You said it earlier in the show that it, um, or maybe it was in while we were getting ready before we started, but that idea that uh, Lent is meant to shape you more into the image of Christ. Yeah. It's kind of an unfinished sentence. It's meant to shape you into the image of Christ that you were first baptized to be. Ah, yes. And, yeah. and, and, and th- thus the renewal, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the preparation to renew that baptism should make. There's a great prayer in um, uh, one of the, uh, I, I want to say it's one of the scrutiny prayers. Um, we'll hopefully touch on that in the second half of the show. One of the scrutiny prayers that says, um, give, uh, prep- help these elect. Those are the ones who are preparing for baptism this Easter. Um, to prepare for their baptism in which they will take on the likeness of Christ. Yes. That, there, that there's that phrase in there, the likeness of Christ. That's what baptism does for us. And so all of Lent is meant to bring us back to that, to renew that, um, to, to prepare to renew that at, uh, at the vigil or on Easter Sunday morning. I, I, this is somewhat random, but I'm trying to figure out, because what, what you were saying was making me think of, and I, I'm not sure it's in the missile or not, but this image, I, I know Ash Wednesday, the, the collect begins, grant, O Lord, that we may begin with holy fasting. But I'm curious what the previous, sac- what the sacramentary said, because I always have this image of the church really, this is a little more, um, to be honest, militant, I would say the way that the language is than, than I would like, but um, that this this uh, at the very beginning of the season it really is calling us to step back pause and and do what what we've been saying mm-hmm. um you said it it's yeah. the church's great retreat we're we're called to live differently during these days during these 6 weeks of of uh lent we're called to live differently and whether that means daily going without something that you've chosen to go without for those 6 weeks uh or you're doing something else or, but really, we yeah. we we, sh- we should be this. This is a re- time of retreat, and as much as we can, with jobs and families, and you know, lockdown in a COVID <laughs> pandemic, we we should be living differently. And, and just like the homilist uh, on Ash Wednesday at my parish said, uh, sort of inviting us into um, even in this joyful season. I mean, he used that language numerous times. But to think about then, even in this because of the pandemic, the last year, ref- taking this time to reflect on what have you learned about yourself, about God, about the church, about 
and, and what have you liked? What have you not liked? Yeah. And, and here's an opportunity to bring all that into conversation with, with Christ in a new way. Yep. And yeah, and, and continue that as part of your preparation. Our thanks to Tim and Todd for that great conversation. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 950 a.m. and 930 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. For the next segment, we now turn to Catholic Chicago. Co-hosts Father Greg Sakowitz and Mark Teresi had a conversation with Dr. Mary Amore with Mays Lake Ministries. Here's a highlight. Dr. Mary Amore, backed by popular demand, holds a <laughs> Doctor of Ministry degree in Liturgy and a Master of Arts in Pastoral Studies from Catholic Theological Union. And Mary is an accomplished author, video producer, and talk show host. Mary is also the editor and co-contributor of Everyday with Mary, a daily devotional. She's a Cardinal Bernardine Scholar and distinguished member of the North American Academy of Liturgy, and she's the executive director of Mays Lake Ministry. Mary, welcome to the program again. How are you, Mary? Oh, fine, Father. How are you? Good morning, Mark. Good How's morning, Mary. We'll do well. We're doing, doing well here. And, uh, you know, it's so great, Mary. It's actually starting to feel slightly like spring. That, it does. Uh, yes. You know, November was a breeze, December was a breeze, uh, January till about January 24th wasn't bad at all, but mm-hmm. from about January 25th till about February 22, it was a solid month of snow, cold, colder, more snow, but now the snow is melting, and you just feel that, that, that the sun, you feel it in the air in terms mm-hmm. of you see it, it's starting to make a difference, and Monday is uh, March. Is that Hard un- to believe. Unbelievable. I know. Yeah. So it, uh, now you've got a lot of things going on at uh, Mays Lake Ministries. Mary, first Indeed. of all, how many years have you been the executive director? Um, 14 years, Father. Wow. And um, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary this year in 2021. So I've been there almost half of as long as they've been in existence. So. Now you like this, Mark. I remember when Mary became the executive director at Mays Lake Ministries. Mary, we interviewed you in the first six months mm-hmm. when you became the director. We congratulated you, and here you are now 14 years later. I'm growing old with you. And you're still, <laughs> and I'm 68, and you're still 39. Oh, of course, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. And Father well, Greg just turned 68 last week. Yeah. He, doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't look like three, four days older than 68. <laughs> well... Congratulations and happy birthday, by the well, way. Well, thank so. you very much. So tell us what is happening, I and mean, there's so much happening at Maze Lake Ministries. First of all, let our listeners know, for those who may not, what is Maze, Lakes, Maze Lake Ministries? Okay, um, Maze Lake Ministries is a, um, a 501c not-for-profit Catholic organization um, that really specializes in the spiritual life of people. You know, in 1991, when we were founded by Father Jonathan Foster, a Franciscan, you know, we were founded as a retreat house without walls because we were formerly known as the St. Francis Retreat House. 
Um, but, you know, over the years, we have been able to adapt to the ever-changing needs of, of people's spirituality. You know, unfortunately, people don't have the time or they don't make the time to do weekend retreats. And so, you know, like kind of like cream rising to the top of milk, um, what has happened at Maze Lake is that spiritual direction has really become one of the hallmarks of our ministry. You know, we are the single largest resource for spiritual direction in the Chicago area. We have 44 spiritual directors on staff, both lay and ordained. Um, and we, we're here to help people, um, Father and Mark, to, um, you know, to, to find Jesus, um, to, to deepen their relationship with the Lord. You know, I was on um, Facebook right before the radio started, and I found this quote, and I really loved it. It said, we are all broken, mm-hmm. but that's how the light gets in. You know, and, and I think as we enter our second year of COVID-19, you know, people are running on empty. They are, where are you, God? You know, they've been in isolation for a year, looking at the second. Anxiety is high. Some people haven't been to, you know, church. Um, in one in, year. In a year. And so, you know, spiritual direction is just a wonderful way for you to realize that God is still with you, that, you know, that even in these desert moments that we're all going through, that um, that there is hope, that that. God is there, and spiritual direction is, is just a wonderful way to help people do that. Now, Mary, I would bet most of my friends, when they hear the word spiritual director, they think, oh, well, that's for priests and nuns. Mm-hmm. And how, how, explain to folks wh- sure. how that spiritual direction is available to all of us. Absolutely. You know, Mark and I, I mean, be, being raised, born and raised a Catholic, I thought that very same thing, oh, mm-hmm. 30 years ago. But um, what spiritual direction is, it is, it's, you know, um, it is for lay people. Um, uh, it is a, uh, it's not spiritual counseling. Um, what it is, is you sit with a spiritual director, and it's about sacred listening on their part, and you just kind of like, unpack your life, your story, and the spiritual director um, really, you know, um, is a vessel for the Holy Spirit to help um, you realize that, no, even in the midst of this situation, even in the midst of this chaos that you're going through or just feeling your life is stalled, that God is there. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we just need our senses to be tuned up. You know, spiritual direction is not about telling someone, do this, do that, do that, and your life's going to be better. No. It is, it's really a personalized um, approach to finding God um, and to discovering where he's working in your life and how can you deepen that. Because once you realize, see, this is it, once you realize that the Lord is there, um, that's like one of those aha moments, and all of a sudden you can just feel his hand holding yours, and you can get through anything then. You know, you along, know, just, along those lines, Mary, you said a lot of great things there, and that is I always tell people when it comes to spiritual direction, uh, where is God in all this? When they come to me and want to talk, you ask the question, you know, where is God in all this? But here's an interesting thing I read. When something terrible happens in our lives, and it will, we normally may ask, God, why me? We just instinctively say, God, why me? My, an accident, a house burned down, whatever. When was the last time something fantastic happened to someone 
and they said, God, why me? Mm-hmm. When something bad happens, we say, oh, God, why me? When something terrific happens, how often do we say, God, why me? Now, we're just going to take a little break here. Uh, Brian, no, for the video? Not yet. Yeah, you take, we, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a special uh, video uh, teed up by Brian Brock, our producer today. So, Brian, take it away, a special video. As a religious, people often approach me for spiritual direction for a number of reasons. A common experience is when someone may have heard or read something, and in fact, they have questions about this. Perhaps there's a stirring within them, and they sense that this is the spirit, and they want to know, is there something deeper for them? When this happens, most people are not sure of the meaning, and they seek to have someone help lead them. So I listen to them and possibly present a question to further explore the question, the issue that seems to be in their heart. In spiritual direction, listening is essential. Not just listening to one's story, but as a spiritual director, I have one ear tuned to the person in my presence and one ear to hear the Lord and what is being spoken to me in the setting. People seek spiritual direction for many reasons. There are times individuals seek spiritual direction because there's a sense of a calling. This can be a call to marriage, religious life, priestly vocation, or merely reviewing options in their life, maybe a job change, and they're wondering how this fits into their life and their life with God. How is God directing my steps? It's a psalm. Your your lamp is a light to my feet. A word to guide me, Lord. So again, listening is an essential part to being present to the person in my heart, open to God's presence as well. Listening to the person in front of me is very key and important as a spiritual director. It takes an open heart to God's word and open ears to the person's words and sometimes actions. As a spiritual director, I ask the Holy Spirit to be present to open my eyes, my heart, my mind, ears, to prayerfully be attentive, to be aware of the person's journey and the direction in which the Spirit may be leading. Spiritual direction truly is the work of the Spirit. As spiritual directors, we are simply vessels of God's Spirit and grace. An example, there were in the Desert Christians a story about two monks who were on the road and traveling, one older, one younger. They come up on a river, and at the river there's a woman standing seeking to cross. The older monk says, come on, I'll carry you over, and he picks her up and he carries her across the river. The younger one follows. The older monk puts the woman down on the other side of the river, and they continue on in their journey. After about two miles, the young monk says to the older one, you know, our rule says that we should not be in contact with the woman, but you picked her up and you carried her across the river. And the old monk looked at him and simply said, you carried her two miles from there. Spiritual direction is a sense of looking into one's heart, seeing what's going on, and establishing a sense of peace and direction from God. Very nicely I love that story. I do too. Now, I don't mean to be blasphemous, but it does remind me, and Greg, you probably remember this, 
Cardinal Bernadine's story, he would walk. He'd go for walks on State Parkway around the neighborhood, and he was at Clark North Avenue. There was a little old woman standing next to him, and uh, she was a bit feeble. He grabbed her arm and helped her cross the street, and she looked at him and said, Sir, I didn't want to cross the street. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good story, too. I remember him telling that. That is a great story. Now, to be a little bit more serious, you know, how, Mary, how does someone, especially in this environment right now, how do Mm -hmm. you choose a spiritual director? I mean, that was a wonder. Now, who was that? that Okay, that was Father Larry Drossen. Um, He's one. And you know what? He's a classmate of yours, Father, from Quigley. Oh, now, is this with Mark or with... What, what year with, did he no, go? No, with, um, with, uh, uh, at Quigley way back when. I don't know. Yeah, because the thing is, uh, I didn't go to Quigley. I was at Notre Dame and Niles. Now, Mark went oh. to Quigley. She might have oh, been Mark's okay. classmate, but I went from Notre Dame and Niles to the college seminary to Mundelein. It might have been with you, Mark. Maybe, yeah. Or, yeah, or maybe it was in Mundel. I know that Father Larry said that he has known you from um education so okay you know, oh wow you know you two have been around a while so you yeah. know how how do people once they have that feeling they want to talk about their spiritual life how do they choose a spiritual director <clears throat> mark that's an excellent question um all people that are interested in spiritual direction we always tell them um one they can look at our website because our spiritual directors are listed there with all the different areas of interest what's the website um, mary the website is mayslakeministries.org okay under spiritual direction um but then once they've looked or they don't have to go they can just call our offices our number is 630-852-9000 the number once again Eight six three zero eight five two nine thousand, and I will I will talk with the person because it's not a cookie cutter ministry. You know, it's not a one size fits all. So I, like Father Larry said, you know, it's it's listening to the spirit. So even in that intake phone call when someone calls me, you know, I always in you know I implore the spirit, help me, let me listen, and you know. When someone's telling me their story, you know, it's a word or a phrase, something comes to mind, and then then I know, like, okay, I I need to direct them to this spiritual director. And so then, um, you know, and I always tell people, you know, because we have 44 spiritual directors on staff, if for some reason after, you know, one or two sessions you don't feel that that's a good fit, and that's never really happened. Um, you can always call me back up, and we can switch you to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. You know, it does matter who you see. But what matters more is um, that you are in spiritual direction, because it really is. You know, spiritual direction helps people live from their center where the peace of Christ is, um, rather than reacting to the events around them. Um, you know, we can't change what's happening in the world or in our life. What we can change, though, is um, the way we react to it. And when we can react through the love of Christ, knowing he is with us and he can carry us, you know, over that river, um, you know, then, then just miraculous things can happen. It's really life-changing. Now, Mary, if someone were to choose a spiritual director, the question may be asked, well, how long am I supposed to do this? A week, a month, a year, the rest of my life? Excellent question, Father. You know what? Um, it's it's up to the person. Usually, most people, when they engage in spiritual direction, you know, they'll do it at least for um, you know a half a year. You usually have a, an hour session once a month, and with 
COVID-19, we're offering it online through um, uh, FaceTime or Zoom or even a phone call if someone doesn't have access to a computer with a, a camera. Um, and, or, and then hopefully by summer we can you know, reopen it and people can meet in person. Yeah, we have spiritual direction offices and everything. Here's a reminder that you can listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.artschicago.org. That's radiotv.artschicago.org. And our programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So please subscribe today. For our final segment, Catholic Chicago co-hosts Father Greg Sackowitz and Mark Teresi talk to the Rector-President of the University of St. Mary the Lake, Mundelein Seminary, Father John Karchi. Here is a highlight. How are you, John? Father Greg, Welcome. Mark, doing wonderful. Good. So good to be with you. It's yeah. great to be with well, you. And you nice know, John, to hear your I voice. really first met you when I was pastor at St. Mary's in Evanston. Yes. And you were the, uh, I don't say pastor, the, what was the word again? A, a chaplain. The chaplain at um, Shield Center. The Shield Center at Northwestern. North University. And that's yeah. how I really got to know you. And people loved you at Shield Center. And you're doing great work at Mundelein Seminary. So I know that as the rector president of the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Mundelein Seminary, you've been there for how many years now, John? I've been here for eight years, and I'm in my sixth year as rector. I was two years teaching Scripture before that. Now, I have to share this with people. I saw a bio about Father John Karchi, which included his Ph.D., mm-hmm. doctoral dissertation, I think it was University of Chicago, and John, I could not even pronounce your dissertation. Well, let's just say he's going to Mars. He's going to Mars. Yeah. He's going to be the first. I mean, I, I, honestly, God, I could not, let alone read it, <laughs> I couldn't pronounce it, and just the very ah. title. And, uh, and maybe before we get into the whole rector-president and what's going on, is just maybe if you could briefly, is tell your story mm-hmm. that you, know, you were not ordained from, you know, third grade on. Yeah. Sure. No, I'd be happy to. Um, well, I'm originally from uh, northwest Indiana, and I've always had a love of science, but from a big Catholic family, I'm the youngest of seven siblings, and was just very fortunate to be able to study that all through school. Uh, I went to the University of Chicago, as you said, uh, studied physics and astronomy there, uh, and... Uh, finished up ultimately uh, with a doctorate. What I worked on was basically how galaxies form in the early universe. So uh, for me, it's, it's just always been a fascination, and you know, there's never been any conflict uh, with my Catholic faith in that. I think the two just sort of fed into each other. Uh, there was a wonderful chaplain there at uh, the university. Well, I mean, there were several. Bishop Braxton, actually, when he was still a priest, mm-hmm. was the chaplain when I first arrived, Father Ed Braxton. Um, but uh, Father uh, Willard, Bill J. Bush, oh, sure. uh, was a wonderful oh, yeah, dear uh, friend. leader priest of mine. Uh, so it was really in college and grad school that I started seriously you know, looking at the priesthood, but entered Mundelein uh, in the late 90s, was ordained in 2002, and Again, I've just been uh, very blessed to be able to to use that that love of science and science background, uh, along with the love of scripture, to talk about that with people. I, I find that uh, a lot of people 
sometimes do think there's a conflict between faith and science. So to be able to address that in a positive way has always been a real blessing for me. So full disclosure, I was up at Munline for 15 years. Uh, John was a student, a seminarian, worked in our office, did an absolutely wonderful job all the women in the all the women in the office loved him. I mean, partly because he was a hard work, and partly because his kindness. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's part of it. So I have a deep love of Mundelein, and I have a picture in my office at the cathedral of our board. You know, the Mundelein uh, board. Sure. Um, great memories. Talk a little bit about, you know, how, at least in my time there, and now with you how lay people are involved in the seminary, how they're connected to the mission of the seminary. In so many ways, and I really appreciate that question. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Mundelein has had always had a wonderful advisory board, just uh, incredibly dedicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, some bishops are on there, some of them are sending bishops, but mostly laymen and women, love for the Church, but I really believe, and uh, this isn't unique to me, but I've tried to make it a, a focus of, you know, my time as rector here, uh, that we really, to help the laity understand that they're not just sort of helping out or contributing to what we do, but they are an integral part of the formation of a priest, especially a diocesan priest. You know, and this goes back to the Second Vatican Council. It's not my idea. There's this beautiful <laughs> line in Lumen Gentium the job of the laity is to consecrate the world to Christ. Uh, and that's such a powerful uh, exhortation, and I take that very seriously. So we send students out into parishes uh, as often as possible. I try to have laymen and women come to campus here, uh, not just to look at the beauty of the place, though that's wonderful, but to really talk to uh, the students and our staff to really say, this is, you know, this is what we need in the Church today. This is what we're looking for. Um, this is what we want to bring to helping to form future priests. So, you know, it's an ongoing work in progress, but I, I sometimes don't think the laity fully appreciate enough uh, how integral they are to the formation uh, of priests, and also to the formation of lay leaders, because a lot of that training happens here as well. I think when I was over at Mundelein Seminary for four years, entered in 1975, and four marvelous years. And ironically, when I joined as a first-year theologian back in 75, Father Bill J. Bush was my CAM priest director. Oh, wow. And he did a a great, great job, and um, I miss him dearly. He died about three, four, five years ago. And so I think you talk about, and Mark mentioned, involvement of the laity and I think in the years since ordination, Mundelein has become such an open place for laity. It's not this sacred place off limits. You know, there are beautiful grounds. Oh, my gosh. You walk those grounds, like a, it's like a chunk of heaven. But now, before we get into break for a minute, we, if we could, John, talk to us about the We Are Mundelein campaign. What's that all about? Sure. It's um, a way of really trying to stress, almost just echoing what I was saying a, a few moments ago, that... As we talk about, you know, we are Mundelein, Mundelein Seminary, it's helping everyone recognize that that's a mission that's shared throughout the Church. So it's the wonderful faculty and staff here at the seminary, but it's also, you know, all the people that our graduates ultimately go out and serve. Um, so it's a way that we talk about ourselves. You know, it's, it's certainly a little bit of a tagline on our stationery and that sort of thing. 
But during February in particular, we try to highlight that in our messaging through social media and so forth, um, inviting people to uh, pray for vocations, pray for our seminarians, but as much as possible just to highlight that that concept of we, you know, who we are Mm -hmm. really is the entire church. Jan, before we take a little break, tell people how to connect. You know, when I was at Moneyline, I remember early conversations. What color is the background on the website? Those were the big issues. And now you've you've, <laughs> into, you've moved into the social media world where the messages are very present to people. How do people connect with the messages of Moneyline? Sure. Well, um, definitely, as you mentioned, social media is a big part of that. Uh, that's so pervasive in our society today. I have to put a lot of that credit on our communications department, and I, a guy I got to know when I was at Northwestern, a graduate of Medill Journalism School there, Matt Paolelli, has really been the the focus and the fire behind uh, that communication process. So people reach us uh, through social media. They also reach us through you know publications that we put out. The Bridge is our uh, our quarterly uh, journal. Uh, yeah, it's a marvelous, number. marvelous it journal. Really is. It really is. It is. It's very beautiful. Um, so, what's the website? Where, where the, where's the website? And then we'll take a little break and come back. Sure. It's usml.edu. So One more time. USML. So the acronym University of Saint Mary of the Lake. USML.edu. Could you repeat the quote about the role of the laity in the church? Uh, absolutely. I wish I had the paragraph number, but. These days it's easy to search. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the role of the laity is to consecrate the world to Christ. One more time. Uh, the role of the laity is to consecrate the world to Christ. That's a powerful I use, one. I use that as our vision statement uh, with folks here. A- and it's not, it'd be nice if they did this, or we hope they did this. Uh, it's the responsibility. And I just realize how far away we are from that being a common awareness, I would say, that most people have, uh, but it's so powerful. And that was written back in the 1960s. Yeah. And I don't want to get real theological, but, and not because he's sitting across the table, but, you know, Greg at Cathedral embodies that statement. You know, we're looking at a strategic planning process, lay leadership. I mean, the priests have to be advocates of that statement. And John has done that both when I saw him at work at uh, uh, Northwestern, the Newman Center. St. Benedict's. And I mean, Shield Center. It's the Shield Center in the St. Benedict's and Mundelein Seminary. Now, with all that's happening at Mundelein, because I do follow and read everything that comes my way, and you have a great communications team at Mundelein, but plus also, I will say this, John, publicly. I'm very impressed with the quality of the young men from all over the diocese of Chicago, country, world, studying for the priesthood. There's a f- tremendous good young men preparing for the priesthood, and you're blessed with a tremendous faculty and administration. Absolutely. Uh, I can't echo that strongly enough. Uh, the, the guys who are answering that call or discerning that call, uh, there's just a real passion uh, and, and love for the Church and for the vocation. Certainly there are challenges, but you know I say to them, that's throughout the history of the Church, so that's always going to be there, but the love of Christ compels us, as Paul says, and the faculty are so dedicated. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. 
Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish language Mass at 10 a.m., and Pole Vision for televising our Polish language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.